And so, uh, to, I, I, in fact, I remember one time I had the goal of, because uh, when I was doing my ultra marathons initially, and um, shortly after I'd been hit by the truck, I had the goal to do a half Ironman. Right. Um, and we did an activity in one of the classes I was teaching and um, about driving and restraining forces, the things that are pushing you to do something and the things that are keeping you from doing something. And when I looked at the restraining forces, they were good things, family, work, other things like that. And what I decided was now is not the time to take on that activity because that would put me out of balance. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. And here is Martin Grunberg. All righty, here we go. Welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. You have reached Habits to Goals today. Yes, we have another epic interview. (laughs) A man who I'm sure would think I would be remiss if I did not call him a freak. (laughs) And trust me, when I say that, that is a compliment and you will understand why. David Rendell is a professional speaker. He's a best-selling author. He is a PhD. He is not just <laughs> not just a freak, but the freak. He's authored a brilliant book entitled The Freak Factor. And you know I love any book with factor in the title. At least <laughs> at least most. So David, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Even my first book was The Four Factors of Effective Leadership. So we're, we're doubling down on the factor. Doubling down on the factor. There's fa- <laughs> I'm sure there's a factor of factor going on. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for joining me slash us. And this is going to yeah. be a lot of, this is going to be a lot of fun. You have a lot of great work, a lot of great ideas and a compelling personal story. And before we get into all of that, you're another guest who I had the great fortune of (laughs) sharing the journey that was, or the challenge that was the rim to rim to rim just a few weeks ago. This is going to air months out, but that's okay because that was a few weeks ago for us. So I guess my first question, David, is how are you doing post-race or event? I should say it wasn't a race. Everything all right? Doing awesome. If anything, doing even better. I I was coming back from some injuries last year. I broke my foot a day before my Ironman race in Canada last August. And uh, so rim to rim to rim was the first major challenge that I was able to complete. Since then, I had a lot of problems with my recovery. And, uh, so that really gave me a huge boost of confidence. So I've been doing a ton of Ironman training. Um, and in four weeks, I'll, I'm going to try to go back to Canada where I failed to even start last year because of my foot, uh, fracture and, uh, going to try it again. So, uh, if anything, gave me a huge boost of confidence and, uh, gave me some perspective on my other training, uh, no training activity is going to be as hard as 16 hours of hiking straight up the side of a cliff. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Every workout feels easier uh, in comparison. So it was a huge confidence boost, but also gave me a lot of perspective on uh, kind of how difficult things were and what I had the potential to do right now. Um, so it was a great, great thing altogether. Well, that's cool because, yeah, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but but I should have mentioned in the open, um, you are a several-time Ironman, is that correct? Three, yep, three. Three-time, beautiful, yep. just like Marty here. So so a three-time Ironman, and yeah, we, we, we got to hike some 50-ish miles in, in some high temps, and, and I saw you just recently had a long swim, so I figured your recovery went really well. The reason I'm bringing it up really is 
that was my opportunity to meet you in person. And it was an honor and a privilege to even share a room with you. <laughs> Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> Good times. All right. So now we typically kick off the show with the GTR, the Good Things Report. Uh, you can go first or I can go first, and then we will get into the rest of the program. Um, I think my Good Things Report, uh, we already just covered it, so I'll add a new one. But the, the Rim to Rim to Rim was really big to, to finish that uh, finish it successfully to meet all the people to, like I said, get that confidence boost was really big. Um, I think the other one is just, uh, I've, I've been working on a bunch of projects with my business this year, working on an online assessment, working on writing a couple books with some co-authors. I've um, got a big full day uh, on the assessment project tomorrow. So uh, this year's just uh, been giving me a ton of momentum. I've started a bunch of things. They're going well. I'm making a lot of progress on a lot of different fronts. Um, related to my, uh, my business, my products, my services, uh, my resources. Um, so I'm just feeling really good about that. That's my good things report. The business is rolling along really, really well right now. Beautiful. Congratulations. That is a great, a great good things report. Mine's, mine's probably not as massive. I was going to go with something simple. I had the, the joy and pleasure of getting in a, a surf earlier today in the water. As it is mid-July, is is very near 70, and it was clear, and the waves were fun. And I ran into a buddy who writes surf articles, and I mentioned, and I realized when I was thinking about this, that, that I mentioned this book called, and it's really important that I share with the audience and you, it is called Barbarian Days. A Surfing Life, and it apparently is a Pulitzer Prize winning book. So the, this, the, the author's phenomenal. And as I say this now, I also remember I had it on the trip. So anyways, we're, yeah. you know, I got in the surf and we, uh, we chatted about the book. The book is cannot recommend it highly enough, even if you do not surf. So, all right, let's get into a little background. David, Tell us where you grew up. <laughs> Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right. South suburbs of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yep. Mean streets. <laughs> we were uh, right next to cornfields down there in the suburbs, so not very mean. Uh, barely streets. Beautiful. Yeah, barely streets. Nice. And uh, great. And then you went to high school? Same area, I'm guessing? Went to high school in the same area. Went to college in Elgin, Illinois. So it's kind of uh, western suburbs in Illinois. Yeah. And then to paint a picture, <laughs> because you played college hoops, right? That is correct. So At a very, very, very low level. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you're being modest, but but playing college hoops is yeah, at any level is is phenomenal. And and again, to paint the picture, you're you're coming in about seven eight, right? <laughs> seven eight. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm actually I'm five foot eighteen. Five foot eighteen. <laughs> five foot eighteen. He said that before. Five foot eighteen. Good one. <laughs> six eight ish. Six six. Yep. Six six. six. six? I'm. Yeah. Oh come on. I had you at six eight. All right. That's all right. I like it. Well, that's awesome. So you go to this college. You play some ball. I'm assuming you you graduate from the college. Yep. Degree in psychology. Wow psych degree, and then you head off to do what? So then I helped people with disabilities to get job opportunities. So started with kids in school who were in special ed, uh, helping them between 18 and 21 to get job training, job opportunities, um, help them get connected with places like Target and Claire's and Allstate where we had some partnerships. And then um, after I did that, I moved up back up to Wisconsin and started doing that same thing for adults with developmental disabilities. Um, and we started some business partnerships, started some of our own businesses, um, did some kind of light manufacturing kind of stuff, did a lot of service work um, um, with businesses to provide employment for people with disabilities. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, certainly noble work. And then at, at first you were, it sounds like you were working either 
I don't know if there was state agencies or other companies. And then at some point you began your own, your own type of service or business. So um, we were working with the school system initially. Then I was working for a nonprofit back up in Wisconsin. Got it. Um, yeah. And then along the way, that's when I got my master's in counseling psychology while I was doing the work, um, helping folks with disabilities. That's kind of the degree that goes with that kind of work and wanted to stay current with what I was doing and make sure I could stay employed in the future, which turned out to be unnecessary, but uh, it was a smart move at the time. Sure. That's beautiful. And, and that was just, uh, I mean, for you, that was a, a calling. You had a leaning there or was, were there other drivers earlier in your life? Yeah, no, all the, my, my mission in life, uh, starting around 16 was just to be helpful, to help people, to try to, um, yeah, just to try to help people and, and not to find any more specifically than that. And so, um, had an opportunity to get into that specific field after, uh, college and, uh, really liked it, had a knack for it, had a, had a decent amount of success with it. It seemed to be a good fit and people were happy with what I was doing and it kept leading to other opportunities in that same area. So just kept, kept riding it to see where it was going to go. Beautiful. And I, I mean, that's all added to your, your depth and breadth and, uh, yeah, your, your knowledge. And so how, how do we go from there? to the you said what was your first book first book was the four factors of effective leadership so what happened was um i started moving into management as i kept moving moving along and moving up kept getting promoted so now i'm managing people i'm managing people that are my dad's age at the time (laughs) so i knew i had to be better at it than the average person because i knew people would be skeptical so i was reading tons and tons of books sometimes i read a book in an afternoon you know just constantly reading trying to figure out how to do it well how to how to be a better leader and um uh, that's when I started my doctorate in leadership after I did the master's in counseling psychology, I thought, well, let's get a doctorate in management leadership. Might as well have a piece of paper that says I read all these books. Um, and also thought it would be nice to have some organized, an organized curriculum in that subject instead of just kind of randomly reading what I came across. And, um, so as I did that, um, my family started moving to, uh, down to the south, down to North Carolina. Started with my brother, then my parents, then my sister. And so I uh, was looking to make a move. And uh, by then I had my doctorate. And so I was looking for teaching positions. So I moved from nonprofits, uh, helping folks with disabilities, to being a, a leadership professor down in North Carolina uh, back in 2004. Um, and then that's when I wrote the four factors of effective leadership, again, just trying to kind of document what, what had been helpful for me and what I thought was useful and try to fill in some of the holes that I thought were problems with the other kind of leadership books that I read, not being very practical and useful in real life. So that was my goal with the first book. That's, that's awesome. And then from there, because right now, and, and again, I, I said it in the open, and it's the ultimate compliment. I'm sure it's, it's a, the, you're you're known mostly for the freak factor. So mm-hmm. so so give us the the genesis, yeah. the birth of that, especially yeah. out of the you know the the four factors. Yeah. So um, uh, one of my nicknames in college was the freak because I'm so tall. When I would go to do painting jobs, that's how I worked my way through school: painting, landscaping, Got it. Uh, lawn care, lawn care. We just said that um, snow shoveling, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so I'd show up <laughs> to these houses, and they'd be like, "Hey, it must be nice to have him. You don't need ladders." And, uh, and then I was also the person right. they'd send up on the ladder when no one else could reach, and the ladder couldn't reach. So I would be the one who risked my life to reach that last oh, kind of piece of the house. So they started calling me the freak for that reason, and um, uh, I kind of liked it. I also uh, so that was a personal reason for it. And then um, freak is a word that means, um, you know, it's a negative. If someone calls you a control freak or a neat freak or a clean right. freak, they're trying to criticize you. But if they call you a freak and you're an athlete, it means you're unusually gifted and talented. I mean, I'm from Milwaukee right now and we've got um, Giannis uh, and he's the Greek freak. And he was the MVP last year. And he obviously no one's criticizing him when they call him the freak. Right. Um, I was just going to say you're in great company with, with yeah. Giannis. So that word, um, 
I chose for that reason because it has that dual meaning. And the book is about how um, I was always in trouble because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. And now I get paid to stand up and talk and run my own business. So my weaknesses, the things that, you know, my parents called me motor mouth and my teachers told me I was disruptive and had no self-discipline and was obnoxious and out of control. And now people say, hey, Dave, can we give you money to come talk? When everybody spent their whole life saying, could you just shut up? And yeah. be successful if you could shut up. And your biggest problem is you can't shut up. And so, your biggest problem is you won't listen and do what you're told. And now I'm an entrepreneur who runs my own business. And so I learned that my weaknesses were strengths. And it's, so it's kind of like that freak word, that, um, that, that characteristic, any particular characteristic has a downside and an upside. It can mean something good. It can mean something bad. But it's the same thing. And so that's sort of how, why freak is relevant to that as well. So, uh, were you honestly called Motormouth? Oh yeah, my parents called me Motormouth. Okay, because yeah. I was called Motormouth, Motormouth yeah. Martin. Yeah, all the time through like yeah. second grade to probably seventh, and then yeah. I learned. I, I learned. I guess to shut up, I probably swang too far. If I was too far to the right, then I probably swang too far to the left. So, um, yeah. but it's, no, I never figured it out. I just kept getting in trouble for it, even into adulthood for talking too much. <laughs> well, that's, that's why you make for a damn fine guest. So, but that's an empowering message. Um, not just to adults, but I think even more, uh, specialized, if you will, for, for kids. And then I know you, you came out with the freak factor for kids as well, right? Just, just yeah. hammer home all those, those good messages. Yeah. Well, I would speak to managers. I'd speak to entrepreneurs. I'd speak to adults. I'd speak to executives and I would tell them this is, you know, Hey, your employees weaknesses are strengths. Your weaknesses are strengths. Here's how to have a better career. Here's how to be more productive. Here's how to run a better business. And they would come up to me afterwards and go, yeah, that's great. And I'll use that. But I got this kid with dyslexia. I got this kid with ADHD, with autism. I got a kid who's getting bullied. You know, what do you have for them? Right. And so, um, yeah, I wrote just, you know, the kid's book, an illustrated picture book with, you know, just a few words in it. But that tell it like a story about how this kid, me, was always in trouble for this and in trouble for that teased by the other kids for this and yelled at by adults for that. And then it goes through how all of those negative things turned out to be positive. Not that I turned them into positives, that I discovered they'd always been positives, but nobody had seen it. You know, so hyperactive kid runs marathons and does Ironman triathlons and disruptive kid does stand up comedy and kid who can't stop talking gets paid to be a professional speaker and all those kinds of things. And so kids can see how their weaknesses could also be strengths. Teachers have used it um, and had done activities with kids. And it's surprising, you know, kids as young as like second grade get it. And, right. and they get, they have them do activities where they write down their weakness and how it might be a strength and what the other kids tease them for and how that could be a positive. And it's really transformational. So yeah, that was really just in response to what people were saying and how people were responding. I'm like, Hey, I got to do this. I'm not like a genius marketer or anything. It was like literally people saying, Hey, you know, can you, could you create this resource? And plus it's what I'm passionate about. I mean, I wish I would have heard it when I was a kid. I wish somebody would have told my parents, written the book, come to my school. So I speak at schools. I speak to teachers. I speak to students. Um, and, and because that's what happens. Again, I speak to the managers. I speak at the conference. I speak to the corporation, but then people are people and they're like, can you come to my kid's school? Can you speak to the teachers? Can you talk to the kids? Um, and so I do more and more work. In fact, August is really just full of teacher in services and school assemblies and back to school stuff, talking to students and teachers about how these things that we think are just so broken about ourselves or about students are really oftentimes their best qualities. And we really we're bad predictors of who's going to be successful and who's going to fail, who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. And I'm trying to give people a different perspective and have them be more open to, to stuff that they, that they really condemn and really struggle with. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, incredibly powerful message. And for one's self identity, um, you know, I'm thinking about these kids for, to hear that message, to, to make that switch. So I'm going to slow things down a bit. Just, yeah just to allow the audience to catch up and they're probably saying we're caught up, Martin, it's you who are slow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first one is 
the four factors of leadership, correct? Four factors of effective leadership. Effective we needed more leadership. F. We needed All more right. F sounds in there. Yeah. Right, right. Well, and that's important because it was the seven habits of highly effective people. So I like that yeah. you snuck in effective. Four yeah. factors of effective leadership. Yeah. Then it was the freak factor. I will yeah. link. I will make sure. Of course, we link to all these from from the the podcast site. Um, and then there's the book is called. Is it just called the Freak Factor for Kids? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Super. Well, uh, that was super incredible uh, naming, wasn't it? Just added four kids. No, that's great. Really? Look, I, I well, I probably should have told you, and there's still certainly time. You know, a handful of comments, whether it's tweets or reviews for the habit factor, and and they say, what, what, where is the habit factor for kids? So, and I just keep saying it's coming, but you know, I love it. I'm almost ten I years late, but but um, so, anyways, we got to compare notes, and I, I gotta I gotta look at the freak factor for kids, because that's where the habit factors, uh, going as well. Is there any particular, um, not to put you on the spot if nothing's top of mind, it's not a big deal, but, but any kids in particular, a, a story where, um, cause you mentioned transformational. I'm just wondering if there's something top of mind that you can share. Yeah. I mean, I, I share this in most of my talks. I, um, I sold one of the first copies of the book at a conference. It was a two day conference and I sold it to this woman and she took it home to her son. His name was Leo. Um, he was 10 years old and he had ADHD and she gave him the book and he read it and he wrote a little note on a piece of like yellow legal pad paper that he ripped off a little section of and he sent it back with his mom the next day. And it said, thank you, Mr. Rendell for the book. It made me feel better about who I am. Nice. And when a 10 year old, you know, says something made them feel better about who they were, right? I was the first person who told him that the, the worst thing about him, his ADHD, the biggest problem that everybody at school and at home spends all their time talking about the doctors and the psychologists um, and the teachers and the administrators and his mom, that that terrible thing that he sees as this big problem that's part of what's wrong with him could be the best thing about him. That was transformational, right? And that's still, yes. I'm still friends with his mom on Facebook. I still follow how he's doing as he's into high school now. Wow. Um, and yeah, that was just a powerful, uh, powerful moment. Cause sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, most of the time. Um, I mean, I was just at a conference the other day and I sold, I think a hundred of the books, hundreds of the kids books, and then they're just gone and the people leave and I might never hear from those people again. Yeah. So you don't know always what's happening. So when you get one response like that, where you know it had an impact, that was really, really powerful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, that's why. Uh, I'm sure you take the time to, to put out the message and do the work is, is yeah. impact and influence. Um, so that is beautiful. Well, and that's, I mean, to your point, that's exactly true with the kids book. So the kids book is actually a free video on YouTube. So it's for sale on Amazon, but I made it a free video on YouTube where basically somebody reads the book because the other thing is a kid with dyslexia might not be able to read the book. A kid with ADHD might not be able to read the book. A kid with autism might not be able to read the book. And also the goal wasn't to sell it. The goal was to spread the message. So I immediately turned it into a video, had some friends of mine turn it into a video and put it on YouTube. And so it's completely free, um, available on YouTube so that people can show it in classrooms. So people can show it to their kids who might not be able to read it. Um, and they might still give them the book, but at least the kid gets the message through the video. So definitely the point, especially with all of what I do, because like I said, I started in nonprofits. My goal is to help people. I mean, I need to feed my family, but the primary, the primary goal is to, to impact people's lives. And so we made that book free on uh in that format on youtube so that as many people could see it and share it and and uh as possible and have the biggest possible impact it's again it's totally beautiful and one of my first thoughts was if he's got adhd it may be tough to to read a book um so so look i think the the audience has a real good feel for the kind of character guy that you are the incredible man that you are so now we're going to spin the story a little 
less about the the freak factor and and more about your um your story in other words you know i want to you i my experience has been (laughs) that the road to air quote success is is a bumpy one so talking about any setbacks you have had or maybe the transition from from whether it was the you know kind of social work to the teaching or from the teaching to the speaking um you know how do you kind of pull yourself through and are is there any top of mind setback where you were really doubting your vision and the things you were trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, uh, the the probably the most relevant is my my athletic stuff. So, um, when I was twelve, I broke my arm in half um, falling off a bike. Uh, when I was twenty four, after I graduated college, I was playing some pickup basketball, and I completely. Uh, broke my tibia all the way through spiral fracture. They had oh to screw it back together. Ah. Um, and I didn't really come back from that. Right. I never, I didn't do any athletic activities for eight years. Oh. I didn't run. I didn't, I didn't play basketball. I didn't jump. Um, I didn't do anything other than maybe occasionally when I realized I was, you know, way out of shape, I would do some walking, but I was basically acting like an old man in my twenties. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't because I was afraid. I I mean, I was afraid of, I almost was unable to work because I broke it so bad and was out of work for so long. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to let my hobbies, my side pursuits destroy my ability to take care of my family. And so I really just kind of sold myself on a story that I didn't need to do that and that that wasn't relevant and it was time to grow up. And, um, by the time I was, uh, 31, so like seven years later, I, uh, I, I finished my doctorate. I started teaching full time and I was probably, you know, 70 pounds overweight maybe. And I decided it was time to get it together. And I started training for a marathon, uh, lost a ton of weight, got in shape, uh, did a bunch of races leading up to it. 5k, 10k, um, half marathon, marathon, started doing ultra marathons. Um, my longest one was a 40 mile race. Nice. Um, and five years into that, um, I was training for a marathon and I got hit by a truck Oh my goodness. and, uh, it tore off my left elbow basically. And they had to screw that back together and I had to go through a lot of physical therapy. Um, and, uh, then that's got me back to the same point, right? Am I going to let this knock me out again? Am I going to give up on doing this again? Am I going to decide that, geez, I've got some kind of curse apparently, um, and I shouldn't be, you know, active and doing things. Um, <laughs> quick comeback story. I got hit during my last long run before the, uh, before the marathon. You do a really long run three weeks before the race on most yep. training plans. And then you gradually run less and less and less. So it was my last long run. It was like a 21 mile run and I got hit at mile 20, you know, mm-hmm. 0.75. Um, so they screwed the arm back together. So it wasn't going anywhere. Um, and, uh, they stapled it back together. So it wasn't going anywhere. And they took the staples out after about two weeks. Mm. And so I asked the doctor with about, you know, three days before the race, I said, can I run the race? Um, he goes, yeah, the arm's not going anywhere. He said, as long as you don't fall on it, Uh. um, you're fine. So I actually ran the marathon, uh, three weeks after getting hit by the truck and having my arm screwed back together. Um, and so that's a difference, right? So notice the difference in response instead of seven years off and like, Hey, I guess I can't do anything now with the leg. I'm obviously I couldn't, it wasn't about mentally going out and running, but once I got better. And so that was kind of my approach there. Um, and then, um, uh, kept doing that for a while, uh, kind of lost track, um, because of having kids and, and building the business and working full-time job and business on the side and stuff like that. And I, came back probably about five years ago, got in shape again, started doing um, Ironman triathlons, started with a half and started doing fulls. And after my first full in uh, July of 2016, I was training for my second one and I was out for a long bike ride and I got attacked by a couple of pit bulls and uh, they knocked me off my bike and I shattered what? my, I shattered my right shoulder. Dude. Um, and so I missed that upcoming Ironman um, and a half that I had planned to do. Um, 
And so again, the comeback story there is again, I could have just said, well, apparently this isn't for me and I got to give it up. And that's what the EMTs even told me. They're like, you need a new hobby. Um, <laughs> and again, I could have listened to that and I had listened to that before. And, right. um, I don't know how people feel about, you know, language on your show, but, um, uh, my, my response and it took me, I kept thinking about it and I finally wrote something up about it on Facebook, but it was basically, you know, fuck them and fuck that, you know, there's that mindset of, you know, well, don't push your body too hard and don't put yourself in dangerous and difficult situations and play it safe and be careful. And I just decided I'm not going to live my life that way. And I had lived my life that way for a while and I just wasn't going to, um, do that. So as the shoulder started healing about four weeks in, the doctor's like, you know, your shoulder's not going anywhere. Um, you know, <laughs> you, 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 I couldn't bike cause I couldn't get down on the arm. I couldn't swim obviously cause I couldn't even move it. Right. Uh, but I said, can I start running? And he said, sure. So I signed up for a hundred K ultra marathon, <laughs> two miles and signed up for a 50 K. And within three months of getting hit by the car, or I mean, being attacked by the dogs, um, I did, um, 50 miles of the hundred K and then, uh, three months later I did the full 50 mile, um, ultra marathon and finished, um, in 13 hours. And so wow. I think that's, um, but, but it just keeps going because sure. as we started off with the, you know, then I was training for, uh, my friend and I had a goal of doing 12 Ironman so that we could do, um, do Kona. And so, um, that year, that same year I did the 50 mile races, I did two, um, Ironmans. I took my time down from 16 hours to 14 hours to 13 hours. And, um, I trained for, um, Ironman Montremblant, uh, for last year. And one day before the race, while I was at the race, my foot broke. Mm. Um, it was probably a stress fracture that had been there that I didn't know about. And I just took a step, not a weird step or a wrong step, but it was just ready to break. And it just snapped the day before the race. And that was six weeks before another race as well. Another Ironman in Maryland. And that's, so I've signed up for three. I've signed up for six Ironmans and I've done three all because of injuries sort of beyond my control. And like I said, and I fought back to do the rim to rim to rim. And I'm training right now to do Ironman Montremblant, even though the, the, the road has been long and difficult coming back from the foot injury, which has led to other injuries because of imbalances um, after breaking the foot. And so, yeah, I mean, when you ask about comebacks, I mean, coming back from the shoulder injury was, was, was a comeback, but that was a comeback after getting hit by the truck. And that was a comeback after snapping my leg in half. And, um, and, and, and all these things never, um, the other part of the story, I think sometimes people say, Oh, you'll come back stronger or whatever. The reality is my left leg will never work the way it's supposed to again. And when it doesn't work right and you run 26 miles or you run 50 miles, your body has to compensate. And so in my left arm will never extend fully again for the rest of my life because of the, how severe the injury was and my right arm mm-hmm. never healed properly. And so, um, it's a constant comeback because everything I do next is harder because of all the things that have happened to me and all of the injuries. And so it's a constant battle. And even again, last year with that, um, with that foot to go, well, geez, I mean, how many injuries can one person have before you just say, I'm not going to keep doing this. So I think that's maybe the lesson I've learned is you've got to be ready to come back, but you've got to be ready to come back again and again and again and again, because you never know. Uh, what's next? You can't be assured that just because you came back once that everything's going to be fine from that point on. So like my theme for <laughs> two, 2019 is forge um, because forge is to create something through heat um, and through um, through basically pain. Um, and so I knew that it wasn't going to be easy this year, but I created that theme um, for myself because I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew it was going to be painful. Um, but I wanted to, you know, motivate myself and remind myself that it was possible. And I think that makes things more, um, more meaningful. I mean, the rim to rim to rim was really big for me because if you add up all those injuries, the fact that I was able to do that after all those things happening, uh, was a comeback, right? It was a success. Yeah. It was, um, and it was more worth it than if I'd had 20 years of uninterrupted athletic success. New listener, the quickest way to get up to speed. 
here at Habits to Goals to understand how it is you are going to craft intentionally the good supportive habits that will help you reach your goals more quickly. The process we follow is PAR. Plan, act, record, and reassess. That's it. It's fairly simple. You have three ways to get your free tracking sheet, which will get you straight up to speed very quick. So you can go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash templates. You can text the word habits, H-A-B-I-T-S, to 33444. And (laughs) finally, to give you additional resources, just use your favorite search engine or and or Google and just type PAR, P-A-R-R, and the habit factor. For those of you looking for a super, super deep dive on habit, the book, that's right, it's almost 10 years old. Check out the habit factor on Kindle. It is, I believe it's $3.99 or $4.99, practically free. Of course, it gives you not just a deep dive on habit, but, but really walks you through the habit factor process. So there are a handful of options for the new listener. You, um, you, uh, yeah. you totally kicked ass. So yeah. phenomenal. I do want to say, I believe it's a Japanese proverb. You're clearly embodying and reminding me of fall down seven times, get up eight. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. And then as it relates to Forge, uh, yeah, I posted something. First, I love love the definition and, and the term. I was of similar mindset. I've been using the term crucible, and it's crazy because I looked that up, the definition, and, and you even find out that that's, that's what the Marines – call the final test before so they come in as men and women they go through the crucible and then they come out marines yeah Um, so here's a common theme maybe you can shed some light on on this i the the listener knows it seems like every interviewee almost every one of them can can they recite this I was 30 pounds overweight. I was 50 pounds. I was 70. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I mean, every yeah. one of them. And then something changes in them and they say, that's it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then, and, I mean, the last interview I did, it was the exact same thing. It was, it wasn't 70, it was 40, but and, and then, and then, so how, what I want you, what I'm asking for you to do is tell us, take yourself back, you're 70 pounds overweight, and then you sign up, I'm assuming you sign up for the marathon. What is the mindset? What's going on there? How does, how do you go from there to there? Yeah, so I'm a really goal-oriented person, and I think what happened was all my other goals had been getting in the way of me taking care of my health. So I think, in a sense, part of it was a life change. I had finished my doctorate. That was a huge thing that was taking up a ton of my time. Right. Um, I, 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 I didn't have. I quit my full-time job and got a new job as a college professor, and that's a much different schedule, a much lighter schedule. Um, moved to a place that was much warmer, much easier to sort of be outside. And it just was like the next step, right? I, I think I had forsaken balance uh, for too long to achieve my goals with my career and with my education. And once those things had been achieved, it was sort of really obvious that I needed to do something that maybe I, you know, could have been doing a slightly better job on, but I hadn't really had the, the time, the energy, the focus, the mental energy to focus on. Um, and so that was the turning point in that situation. I, I sort of let myself go again after that for a little while, once things got super busy again, which kind of shows some of it is environmental. And the breaking point there was when I was walking upstairs every night to tuck in my daughters <laughs> and I would be out of, out of breath by the time I got up the stairs and right. seriously like to, to right. talk to them and tuck them in would kind of require some gasping and getting it together. And I also remember I gain all my weight in my stomach. I'm six foot six and my legs are always skinny and my arms are always skinny. The only thing changes is the size of my stomach. And so I remember wishing that somehow my socks could magically put themselves on because I couldn't get down there. Wow. And so those are kind of two pretty basic 
kinds of things where it was like, come on, you know, this is just unacceptable. So, we're, so, not, we're not ready to throw in the towel yet, you know? Yeah, okay. So this is brilliant though, because this is when, when we're not doing interviews on this show, we're just talking about concepts and one concept that comes up often is balance. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I prefer the term equilibrium, but, but really it's one in the same in many regards. And, and what I think a lot of people miss, certainly I did, I never viewed balance as a dynamic versus a static. And I think a lot of people think mm. static. So life is dynamic. So, so what you, the way I see it, you, you're, you know, look at a tightrope walker, right? So they're constantly making adjustments. So, so you were tilting a little too far to the right and, you know, you got the PhD and now you're coming back over to the left and you're working on the, the physical. My, my yep. point is it's, it's a, for the listener, especially it's, it's good if you feel off balance because that's the sign to make the correction. It's, it's not a bad sign. It's a good sign. So, well, and sometimes you need to be. I, I shouldn't have let myself go as much as I did, and I shouldn't have swung to, as much to the other direction after running the marathons and doing that kind of stuff. But what happened there was I had my third child. Uh, I was teaching full-time. Right. Um, Life Teaching part-time at two different places and um, starting my business. And so, uh, to I, I, in fact, I remember one time I had the goal of, because uh, when I was doing my ultra marathons initially, and um, shortly after I'd been hit by the truck, I had the goal to do a half Ironman. Right. Um, and we did an activity in one of the classes I was teaching and um, about driving and restraining forces, the things that are pushing you to do something and the things that are keeping you from doing something. And when I looked at the restraining forces, they were good things, family, work, other things like that. And what I decided was now is not the time to take on that activity because that would put me out of balance. And the reason that I jumped back into Ironman's, um, you know, five, six, seven years later was because then it was the time I had quit yeah. teaching full time. I wasn't teaching part time. I had my business. My business was rolling well. My kids were older. They were in school. They weren't preschoolers. I can work out when I travel. Um, so yeah, I think thinking of things as, um, you want different amounts of different things at different times. I think it was, it was probably a mistake. Um, you know, I didn't need to swing as far, get as out of shape each time. Um, but there's certainly that those were not the wrong, those were not the right times to be looking for maximum athletic performance. Right. And I should have done yeah. some more maintenance work. And that's another one of those things. I think we all have different kinds of balances. And for me, I am kind of an all or nothing person. Either I'm, either I'm trying to eat right and I'm trying to achieve an athletic goal or I'm trying to see how much McDonald's I can complete in one, one particular day and how many ice cream, uh, how many times, how many bowls of ice cream I can knock down. Well, go um, easy. So I'm a fairly intense person. And if I'm not doing the right thing intensely, I'm probably doing the wrong thing intensely, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this has been fantastic. We've, we've covered a ton of ground and we're, we're approaching third base. I got to go through a few standard questions that I love to ask our wonderful guests. The first one, since you're such a thoughtful character, I love your take on the definition of success. My definition of success is figuring out who you are and matching that with where you're supposed to be. How do you match who you are with where you are? Um, wow. I think, I think, um, I think there's a, there's a quote that I hate and it's called bloom where you're planted. It's like a cliche. It's like a proverb. And it's a stupid proverb because if I take a tree that blooms here in the heat of North Carolina and I put it in Alaska, it's going to die. Uh, not because of a lack of self-discipline. It's because it's in the wrong spot. Um, and one of the things I've learned about weaknesses and strengths is that the same characteristic that looks like a weakness is a strength when you're in the right spot. And so, so I think a lot of times we think of success as sort of changing ourselves or becoming something else. When I think most of success is finding those situations and sometimes creating the situations where 
our best qualities can come out, creating situations that put the put uh, bring out the best in us, um, creating situations where we can bloom. You don't you don't tell plants to bloom where they're planted. You try to create the kind of environment for a plant that will allow it to bloom. And so I think we have to do those same things for ourselves. But I think too much self help and too much leadership and motivation stuff is based on making fundamental changes to who we are, assuming that there's something fundamentally wrong with who we are that needs to be repaired instead of uh, recognizing that success is, is, is in most cases, I think that perfect match between who you are and where you are between who you're designed to be and the situations that you put yourself in. And most um, success comes from finding that match and tweaking that match and making that match better and better and better and better not trying to fundamentally change who you are. That's, that's, I love it. That's fantastic. This is why I ask the question. (laughs) Always learning. You'd be surprised at all the various answers and most of them very, very good. Very thoughtful. Well, and I think that's part of the story too, is that I think when I ask questions about success in my classes or in my speeches, what I basically tell people is if that's your definition, then that's what it is. You know, like I think, um, too often we let other people define success for us. Success is having your kid go to this college. It's getting this kind of job. It's making this amount of money. It's um, being famous. It's whatever. And then we think that that is the definition. It's growing your company to a certain size. Um, and so I think sometimes we allow other people's definitions of success to drive our behavior instead yeah. of saying my definition of success is my definition of success. And if I'm accomplishing these things, I'm happy. It doesn't matter what anybody else wants. This guy posted yesterday on Facebook and I, he was thinking of it like a positive thing about how some guy ran past him on one of his daily runs and how he decided that wasn't going to stand. And he caught up with the guy and passed him towards the end of his three mile run. And he was like, <laughs> how many of the rest of you do that? And I'm like, not me. I couldn't give a crap. I'm out there to run my race. I'm out there to run my training. I don't know what that guy's up to. I don't know what his history is. I don't know what his goals are. And I'm not going to screw up my goals and my run and my practice uh, in order to beat some person who doesn't even care that I'm out there. He wasn't changing his run for me. Why am I changing my run for him? So I think we have to have our own definition and not allow people to unduly influence that definition and have them tell us what success is because I don't think that leads to happiness. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think the audience knows this, that a lot of the reason I ask the question is because we have found that many people have not taken the time to mm. figure out what it means to them. So yeah, this, that's is good. A, this is a prompt to share. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In any event, all right, next question. I love it. Your, your two or three best habits. My two or three best habits. Number one, uh, reading. And I don't care if it's audio or learning. Um, for me, it's reading uh, a lot of books, a lot of audio books. Um, uh, I enjoy it, um, but I think it's been hugely beneficial for me. Um, it changes my life in ways that I can't even explain. Um, I've already, you know, audio and, and, uh, regular books already done probably 50 this year and we're halfway through. Nice. Um, and I've been doing that for, you know, ever since college. And I think it's had a transformative effect. Um, and, and you'd like this, I added a habit this year. I've always listened to audiobooks um, over the last five, six, seven years, but I, I decided it was time to start reading regular books again. So I have one on my nightstand. And I read 15 minutes before I go to bed and 15 minutes after I wake up. And that's a new habit in 2019 that I'm really enjoying. Um, so reading is a big one. I think another one that might surprise some people is I've always been a sleeper. Um, if I don't get eight hours, I'm miserable. Um, I feel like crap. I want to eat too much. I'm grumpy. Um, and uh, even if I get eight hours, sometimes I'm going to hunker down for a nap. If I feel lousy if I feel tired if I feel fatigued I don't hit the coffee I don't hit the caffeine I don't hit the sweets I hit the bed um, I hit the couch um, I just took one this afternoon I'm doing huge Ironman training one of the best things you can do when you're doing athletic stuff is it, your body doesn't get stronger while you're exercising it gets stronger when you sleep and so I think um, you know I'm 45 years old and I'm still caffeine free um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's been a huge part of my success that I just, it's a non-negotiable. I don't go, well, 
I'll get this more work done because I won't sleep. I'll, right. you know, find time to spend with my kids because I just will, won't get sleep. I'll get more exercise by waking up at three in the morning. I just, I won't do that. I don't do that. So reading, um, sleeping, um, and, um, I think probably exercise. I think, um, I've, I, I fall off at various points in my life, but I really love to be moving. Like I said, I was always hyperactive as a kid. And now people say, wow, it's amazing what you've been able to do. Um, so I get praised for the same things I used to be criticized and punished for. Um, and so for me, exercise is just, um, I don't know. I think it influences your body chemistry. And by that, I mean the chemicals inside your body, the way you feel. Um, it's an antidepressant. It's a stimulant. Um, it feels great to be out hiking in the Grand Canyon, for example, instead of sitting around watching Netflix. I think there's a lot of pleasures to be had while moving and doing things, especially if you do surfing. For me, being out in nature, hiking through the woods, running through the woods, running in the mountains. Um, I think that's one of my habits. And I do that consistently as I travel. I'm always out running, hiking, walking, uh, exploring um, in the outdoors. And, and I think that's a habit that's been hugely uh, positive for me. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, all of those, they just bundle nicely. It's it's self-care. It's like everything on the periphery is not going to matter or work until what works is yourself. In yeah, your own exactly. in your own energy system. We've heard sleep uh, a couple times. It's something I'm uh, late to the party on, but I've been practicing my naps. So um, yeah, we'll see. It's still a work in progress, but but I'm becoming a fan. Um, all right. Well, I think everybody's different too with that. Like like yeah. for me, I think to some for some reason I need more sleep than the average person. I think there are some people who do have, I think it would be unfair to say some people don't have different sleep needs, right? Don't sure. have different. I think sometimes people lie to themselves about that, but I think there is an extent to which some people, um, you know, need different, different levels of sleep than other people right. do. I think that's one of those things to, to look for your unique kind of, uh, strength, you know, type, type when it comes with that. Yeah. Um, how about a bad habit? You don't have to answer this. This is optional, a bad habit, a habit you're trying to break or replace. Um, I got bad habits, but I've given up on replacing them. So I've been biting my fingernails since I was a little kid. Oh, um, and, uh, I mean, I bite them down to like, to, to the point that it can't be bitten anymore. Um, and I used to set new year's resolutions to stop biting my fingernails and I'd go a long time and then I'd start biting them again. Wow. And I'm 45 years old and I decided, you know what, that's of all the habits you can have, um, and if it takes the edge off your anxiety or whatever <laughs> you're dealing with a little off bit, your fingernails. yeah, and it's it's a built in, it's built in, it's cheaper than Xanax, and it's not habit forming. Right. Um, well, I, I am. It is I, habit. I do still. Right. I do still think about it. So um, it's I got habit. one of those little fidget cubes. Okay. Because what I've noticed is I mostly bite my fingernails when I'm driving in the car. So I think it might wow. be a little bit of a boredom kind of thing. Sure. So sure. I am still interested in the edges of it. But I'm not willing to beat myself up about it and really right. see it as a big focus because um, I've decided that some things aren't worth um, some things aren't worth fixing. Uh, we will keep things moving. Did you ever did you ever try to put like bad tasting? I mean, I think some people. My mom did when I was okay. a kid, but it makes everything taste bad. It gets on your food. Oh, it got gets it, on got your it. clothes. I was just yeah. curious if it was a real. Okay, all right, we'll keep yeah. moving. Uh, Advice, I know we're tight on time, but I'd love to hear. Advice you'd give your 20-year-old yeah. self. Go back 20-ish years. Yeah, yeah. Well, be be yourself. Stop trying to sit still, be quiet, and do what you're told. Um, I mean, it's what I tell everybody else. Your weaknesses are actually strengths. You just need to find the right situation. I would mm -hmm. actually tell myself to drop out of college. Don't get a master's degree. Don't get a doctorate. Start your own business. Uh, build your own empire, do your own thing, be confident in what you have. Everybody else is wrong. Um, you think they're older, you think they're smarter, you think they must know, but they don't. And, and, and now I know that's true. They didn't, they were wrong. And for too long, I tried to play their game and do right. it their way and follow their advice. And I tried to be successful using their formula. And I was to some extent, but I wasn't happy and fulfilled the way I am now doing my thing, my way, 
Um, but I assumed they must know. I assumed that adults knew things. I assumed that, <laughs> that that people who had been there and had done that were wise in ways that they actually really aren't most of the time. And I assumed that there was a structure and an order to things that really there isn't. And I wish I would. I wish I would have known that a long time ago. It <laughs> really, um, you know, and, and that's what my business has been. My business has been testing the the freak model, the Dave way of doing things, and it turns out. I'm not just right, but I was writer than most of those people. I mean, my daughter was, uh, we live down here in the South now. And so people have a Southern accent and they sometimes use every, every region has their own kind of improper grammar and slang. And so one of the kids in her class said something, you know, that wasn't grammatically correct. And the teacher said, you're never going to be a fortune 500 CEO talking like that. Oh my! She didn't say it to my daughter. She said it to someone else. And my daughter didn't say this out loud, but her thought was, well, you're not exactly a Fortune 500 CEO, are you? You know, teaching at <laughs> a small private religious school in rural North Carolina. Right. And the problem was I, I didn't separate that and I didn't know to. I didn't know that nobody that was talking to me was a Fortune 500 CEO. And oh, by the way, I didn't want to be a Fortune 500 CEO. So I didn't necessarily need their advice either. Right. Um, I assumed that the adults must know, must have it figured out. And at least my daughter was smart enough to go, wait a second. You know, you don't ask a drowning person how to swim. Um, and this person who has a career that my daughter doesn't want was giving somebody career advice about a career she didn't have. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of that going on and we beat ourselves up and, and we misunderstand what, uh, going back to what we said earlier, to what success really is. Beautiful, man. I love it. Well, a uh, couple Final questions, and then we'll put her to bed. Um, two or three, or one even, you know, book, really impactful, transformational book uh, in your life that, that's worth mentioning here, Sharon. I mean, it's the habit factor totally turned things around for me. I mean, I didn't have a direction <laughs> until I read the habit factor. Um, you did. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we taught you actually brought it up earlier. I mean, I'd never read a, a, a success book, a self help book. I didn't even know what they were. They'd gotten a bad reputation when I was growing up. And when yeah. I was a sophomore in college, um, I was going to go on this wilderness trip with this guy who was organizing leadership wilderness trips and needed to do one like to practice. Um, and uh, he said, hey, you know, read this book beforehand and we'll talk about it on the trip. And it was the seven habits of highly effective people. Wow. Um, and I think that, you know, just started an interest in learning that kind of stuff and also gave me a model. Like every book I read after that, I was like, oh, that's habit number four. Oh, that person's talking about habit number six. Oh, that's habit number three. Um, it gave me a framework for understanding a lot of the other things I was reading and to put things in context. So I think that was one that had a huge impact on me. Um, and then I think all the stuff around strengths finder and positive psychology. I mean, I have a master's in, in counseling psychology and we didn't even have a paragraph in any of the books that even said there was such a thing as positive psychology. You know, this, this idea that let's study what's working instead of what's broken. Let's study strength instead of weakness. Let's study mental health instead of mental illness. So I studied for six years and wasn't even alerted to the fact that this was a thing. And so it was while I was reading or listening to the strengths finder book that I had that insight that I was like, wait a second, what if my, what if my weaknesses were strengths? What if, wait a second, when I'm, when I do these little talks that I do for the local chamber of commerce, people really like it and I like it. Wait a second. And so that was, it was a revolution to me uh, and a revelation um, that, uh, we could focus on what was right instead of what was wrong. I grew up in a very conservative religious environment growing up, and that was all about what's wrong and assuming everything's wrong and that everyone's bad and that every instinct you have is wrong and bad and that you have to watch out for all the wrong and bad and everyone else. And it was just, it was, it was, it was life changing to think that you could build a life around what's working and, and yeah. what you like and what you're good at and what you enjoy and, and that there is pain, or there is gain without pain. Um, and, and so that was those two things. And they're very different because the seven habits is very much like, this is right. This works. This is the way this is correct. Do these things and don't do the opposite. I mean, now I think I could write the seven habits of highly effective people and have each habit be the opposite and show you how people could be successful that way. But at the time, that was a huge, that was a huge impact for me. And then Strengths Finder was another huge like breakthrough where it changed everything I thought about after that. Got and it. that's how I kind of divide books. Some books give you information 
that you didn't have before, some books change everything you see from that point on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think those were two hugely impactful books for me. Incredible. Yeah. I will just say if, if had I come out of, I mean, to hear you say that you did all that studying and, and positive psychology was, was not even on the radar, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and it existed. I mean, I did. So, I did, well, yeah, no, I did no, I know it existed. The, what I'm like, getting at is it wasn't in the curriculum. No, that's what I mean, right? So it wasn't like it was brand new. I mean, I think it had been around since like the 70s. Oh, yeah, no, wasn't absolutely. In the curriculum. Yeah, so it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I so, mean, it was so the, the reason I'm deliberately it, not right. sharing it. Yeah. No, the reason I bring it up is that the habit factor had, had I come out of that kind of academia, it wouldn't have existed. I mean, there are white papers written on goal theory from within, yeah. from within the box that yeah. omit habit entirely. Yeah. Or if they talk about it, they talk about it as a vestige of a goal pursuit. In other words, something left over after you. So, so if you run a marathon, then you will have developed the running habit but sure. they didn't there was no white papers that that ever had the inverse of that so anyways my point is i i'm not shocked to hear that positive psychology was was outside of the curriculum that's yeah yeah unbelievable and not unbelievable all right a tech tool a gadget an app something you can't live without besides the phone itself um the thing i probably can't live without it's a small thing but i used to carry one of those credit card swipers you know the old school kind you needed the carbon pieces of paper you needed that big brick size thing and you had to go (laughs) and then you had to have people fill out information and sign things you give them a copy and you keep a copy and i was at a craft fair one time with my wife and i didn't want to be there and somebody tried to sell me this piece of crap reclaimed wood birdhouse. And I'm like, birds already know how to make their own houses. I don't need to provide houses for them. And this is a bunch of recycled trash. I don't want it. The roof is rusty and it's going to give me tetanus. So I thought I could get out of it by saying, oh, man, I'd love to get it, but I don't have any cash on me. Right. And this is probably, you know, I don't know exactly, but a long time ago, eight or nine years ago. Um, uh, and somebody would have to look up the, the dates of all these. But the woman said, oh, that's no problem. And she pulled out that little tiny white square and she plugged yep. it into her iPhone and she said, I can take credit cards. <laughs> at that point, I had a BlackBerry and there was no square for BlackBerry. And I got an iPhone so that I could have square. Um, yes. And that that was a massive. And so I, I just used it, you know, yesterday I did a, a speech for Operation Smile, the people who travel to other countries and help kids with cleft palates. Yeah. Um, get that surgery. And I did a youth leadership conference for them and I was selling books and I just swipe, 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 <laughs> and the money goes in my bank account. Um, and so that, 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 there's a lot of apps I use and there's a lot that I do with my phone, but that one thing is a massive improvement in my life. And, um, I love it. Take it with me everywhere I go. I love to hear it, man. You can just run around and charging people left and right. Square. Yeah. All right. Square. Well, uh, so now we're officially, done the the final thing is you get to uh say goodbye to the audience and if there's anything in particular you want to promote we'll link to your website again keep in mind this probably isn't airing for a while so so the timeliness of it uh it's it's airing out in the future but but if there's anything to promote anything you want to share have at it sir yeah, I mean, the thing to promote is just, I mean, this idea, I think it has the, the potential to help people, the freak factor. So if you go to my website, drendal.com, D-R-E-N-D-A-L-L.com, there's a 30-minute version of my keynote on there. There's the assessment that can show you what your strengths and weaknesses are and how they're related, and it's free right there in the resources section under the video. Um you know, read the book, do the assessment, watch the video, share the kids video with your kids, with other people's kids, show it, um, at work. And, uh, the, you know, the most important thing, um, is if it's useful to you, you know, um, look for opportunities at your work. If you guys run a conference or you have employee meetings, um, 
tell somebody that uh, needs a speaker that uh, they might benefit from the freak factor. That's the way that I make a living. And uh, if it's been useful to you um, and helpful to you with those resources that I have on there for free, pass, pass my name along, pass the website along. And uh, I'd love to come out and speak at an event for you or for your company or for your association. Beautiful. Dr. D, it was entertaining, educational, and of course, enlightening. Sure, you were brilliant. Um, all right, say goodbye, and then I'll wrap around on the backside, and we'll chat for a bit. All right, goodbye. When everybody tells you to fit in, <laughs> don't fit in. Freak out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Freak out. I like it. That's great sign-off. Beautiful. Hey, really quick, I just want to remind you, if you want to grab your habits and goals tracking template, the template that started it all, you can get that really quickly. Just text me at 33444 and simply text the word habits, that is habits, H-A-B-I-T-S, to 33444 and you will get the tracking template immediately. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thanks for dropping a quick review. It'll take you less than 30 seconds if you're getting value. I'm out.